less stress, more time, more money. Welcome to the Cash Flow Contractor interview. Are you sad, Martin? Why would I be sad? Your best friend's not here today. Ethan. <laughs> I know he's in Mexico. Mexico. I didn't know he got vacations. We're, and we're laughing because he's going to have to edit this later. And so he's. this will be a nice surprise that we started our podcast talking about Ethan. Well, it was also interesting that it took about 15 minutes to set up. And when Ethan's here, it takes an hour and a half. Yeah. So something's wrong, Ethan. you got to figure it yeah. out. No, the, the big difference maker is we didn't set up video. So. Don't shh. <laughs> really skip the last steps there. Any reasons? <laughs> That's great. Well, hey, uh, I'm going to try to find a segue here. A lot of times, businesses will have someone like Ethan, who's gone, who really makes the magic happen behind the scenes, and then they're kind of lost. And for a lot of businesses, they are that person that if they step out, the business is basically gone. And that's a business that you can't sell, right? But or it, for not for much. Never say can't, but that's <laughs> not a good sign. <laughs> so we have a business broker on today to talk about some of this stuff. Is that is that decent, Martin? It's kind of lame. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I, I don't know of a better one. So Okay. Well, um, yeah, let's welcome Hank Vakas to the podcast. How you doing, man? Hey, guys. Thank you. I, hey, I, I think it's exciting. Okay. So yeah. it's good stuff. We'll have a lot of fun. Yeah, that first first time for Hank on a podcast, usually it is the, for the first, most of our guests. Every time we time. do it, it's my first time. That's right. <laughs> yeah, it's like, whoa, what? That's Sit new. closer to the mic. Right. <laughs> Don't tap the table That's funny. with your pen. Um, Hank, where are you from? Tell us a little bit about your background. I uh, born and raised in Oklahoma City. Uh, went to school here. I, I love Oklahoma City. It's where I call home. Um, went... When I graduated from high school, I went to SMU. So I was a swimmer. No state schools have swimming on the Division One level. So I, I left Oklahoma to swim. That was the whole purpose of going to SMU. Okay. Um, and when I went to school there, I was in Dallas, and I knew I always wanted to get back home. Oklahoma's home. I love Oklahoma City, and that's why I do what I do. That's why you do what you do, Martin, right. because I love this place, and I want to make it the best place for my kids to grow up. Yeah. I don't think any of us want it to be Dallas or Atlanta or Houston, but I just want Oklahoma City to be the best it can be. Yeah. And so... Well, it's grown a lot. I it mean, has grown. It's changed so much over the years, and I hope it doesn't become... I like Dallas, but I it's Dallas. I was, I was glad to get out of Dallas. Yeah. Um, and so I have... My wife um, is by far the best dentist... In the area, so get a plug for her and reflections okay. now. Uh, so we've been married 15 years. I've got four kids. Wow. So I, I four kids and a dentist. I do, yeah. <laughs> so I, I stay extremely busy with all of them, uh, from swim practice this morning to soccer, basketball, everything, family events, yeah. So and you, you just had a baby like within the last six three months, months, months ago. three months ago. Point, three months point ago. of clarification. Your wife had a baby. Correct. Okay. Right. Your wife had a baby three, three months ago. And my wife is a champion. So three kids were born, no anesthesia. So don't mess around. That's no. women's, women's machismo. That's yes. right. So my kids for Father's Day got me a, a Father's Day card. And, and they said to make sure that I mentioned them by name because 
you know, they're pretty excited. On the, on the podcast? Yes, that, oh, yeah. That, okay. Well, so let's get their names. Who are they? So we have Addie. Okay. How old she's is She's my Addie? oldest. She's 11. 11. Uh, she's extremely intelligent. You know, she's the one who I can trust with the keys to the house and know that it'll be fine when we come back. And then we've got the three boys. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and you just, uh, you just identified the distinguishing character. That's right. That's right. Yes. So then we have Hudson, who's okay. nine. Uh, heart of gold. Loves people. Loves being around people. Is funny. Has a hard time walking a straight line. He's broken his ankle three times. <laughs> and then I have Tyson. Okay. Who, you know, we looked up the, the root word, the origin of the word Tyson. It means fire breath. <laughs> and that fits his personality. He is feisty. Yeah. He loves to, to scrap and loves sports where he can get in and push. And, you yeah. know, he just, he's feisty. And then Anderson. Yeah, so he's my three-month-old. And he's all about smiles. So... My wife, they gave me a, a Father's Day card, and this is just the way it is in my house. You know, they, the Father's Day card said, you know, here's a pen. You know, it says, you're the boss for the day. And it said, happy Father's Day. When today's over, please give this pen back to mom. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so that's the truth. That's the way that's how it works. my house works. I, Have I, you I, noticed with, with your kids, uh, mine are 28 to 39, so right. long gone. But that three-month-old? Mm-hmm. I don't know if it, it if it worked this way for you, but they are who they are. At three months old, you look or smiling, laughs or growly or that's whatever. That's the way they're going to be. That's who they're going to be. That's they're going to be. Forty years later. That's right. That's I mean, so I wild. think as parents, we can mess it up. Cleo, you got that coming here. Pretty I soon. know. We got about nine more weeks. Yeah. yeah. We have our first one. Yeah, but uh, I, I think yeah, parents the can mess it up. But uh, but who they are is. God given, and it's right there. And and all four are, are totally all. different personalities. Yeah. yeah, yeah, completely different, but yet come yeah. from the same mom and dad. So. Yeah, yeah. I got a question. What's it like living with a dentist? Like, are, are you constantly worried about Do you like, floss? flossing? Uh, I I floss a hundred percent. Wink, wink. Three hundred sixty-five days a year <laughs> <laughs> on the recommendation of my dentist. Yeah. So Marie, uh, my wife's name is Marie. She she says she lives in the in the finite space of millimeters, right? Right. Oh, so, gosh. you know, when you're working on teeth, you're working in this tiny space in the small area. So, uh, needless to say, she's very detailed. Oh, I can imagine. I'm a big picture kind of guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's cool. That's wild. So, yeah. I I would always cuz I don't floss. Uh, but maybe Six times a year, and uh, whether you need to or not, yeah, I would just be like, man, if I lived with a dentist, she, uh, I'd be a couple in years ago. I, I went to her and she did the, the normal procedure and and she said you have a cavity, and I said no, no, she's I, just, I'm already... she's just trying to get into your pocket. <laughs> yeah, eight bucks. Yeah, I said there's no way, I don't believe this. Let me see the charts. Yeah. And did you see it? No, she would not show me. Oh, yeah. okay. No, on a need-to-know basis. Need-to-know, need to, yeah. yeah. Need to That's know. funny. Well, so obviously big family, man. You yes. you actually uh, had a family business growing yes. up, right? Yes. Tell us about your family business. Now, that was a good segue. <laughs> that was a good segue. I mean, just <laughs> for comparison cool. purposes, sorry to interrupt. Good Go segue. ahead. Family business. So my great-grandfather was named Gordon White, um, and he moved to Oklahoma in the early teens. Oh, wow. And at that time, Oklahoma was an oil boom, right? It was the Wild West. Mm -hmm. And he would f move from town to town wherever they hit oil. Okay. And he would sell 
rigging equipment, oak timbers, drilling. Mud. I was just going to say lumber. That's uh, they and, were made out of wood. They, they, back would, they would stack yeah. them up, and he would his store would be open twenty four seven seven days a week. He lived right near the location, and so you know, wells would break and heads would break, and he would have to be there. So he would move from town to town to town. Well, in the forties and fifties, my grandfather married his daughter who was Hank Bacchus and came into the family business. And so they wanted to kind of set up a a model, a stable model for a business. And so instead of hopping at that point, they established like a typical home center, a small town lumberyard. Cool. And they developed those and they had multiple stores in multiple small towns across Oklahoma. And they got into wholesale where they were, they had a mill that they would buy from the East coast. They'd get the logs, they'd come in, they'd, mill it down into dimensional lumber, mm-hmm. sell it out to other retailers. So they sold that business off in the 80s, and it is still existing and in, fun- in business today. In Oklahoma City? In Oklahoma City. They have a lumber mill? Yeah. So it's Making mid- dimensional lumber? Yeah. So they're a wholesaler, so mid-states lumber, still okay. in business today. Wow. Um, the, the family that bought the business from my grandfather still owns the business. Wow. So that's pretty cool to see that yeah. still going. Surprised. Yeah. And then my dad came into the business in the 70s. And then I came into the business in 2004. And so fourth generation of family owner, um, which, you know, the percentages of businesses that actually make, make it, it two generations. to make it to two. We were four. Um, and I worked in the business all in high school and in college, and I, I didn't love it. It was, you know, pretty small town, you know, uh, built on relationships, built on my dad's relationships and the people that he hired. Yeah. And so I didn't love that about it, but why? I loved business. So what, what, I, what didn't you like about it? I, you know, I wanted, it was, at the time it was really hard work. So, you know, I worked <laughs> out in the yard, pulling orders, you know, driving trucks, driving forklifts, right. physically, physically hard. And it's hot in the summer and it's cold in the winter. So I didn't know if this was what I wanted to do. My dad is a, was a great boss still is a great boss. Um, never pressured me to come into the business. So when I was in college, I was going to business school. I first went to do pre-med and then I got the course load and I said, Oh gosh, I, I by no <laughs> yeah, way. Why, why did I say a doctor. pre-med? Yeah. yeah. So went into the next logical thing, business and loved business concepts. I love the idea. I loved how to improve upon something. Um, you know, because I'm not a, a creator, but I'm just an improver upon systems. I think that's just where my skill set was. So I didn't love the business, but by the time I got to be a junior and senior in college, my dad was saying, you know, what are your plans? You know, and I looked at three different careers and after interviewing and, and researching him, I said, you know, these are just not for me. I want to be my own boss eventually. I want to own, I want to have equity. I want to build wealth. And it naturally just fit. So I had a conversation with my dad I said, I'd really like to think about coming back to the business. And he said, that's great, but you have to go work somewhere else for an entire year. And if you do, and if you do that, then you can come back. The best thing he ever did. So I Hmm. had to go find a job in the industry, interview. You know, I got paid. I remember I got paid $8 an hour (laughs) uh, right out of college. I had a college degree from SMU. Man, I thought I was hot stuff. Yeah. I got $8 an hour. Wow. Um, Where'd you work? I worked in Tulsa. Okay. Um, the great family, uh, M&M Lumber. They are still in business. A great operation. Okay. Uh, I am dear friends to them to this day. 
uh, same thing, multiple generation family owner. Yeah. They were great because they allowed me to work through the company. Mm. So I, you know, it was very clear. I'm going to do this for all different positions, all different positions. Yep. Uh, I'm going to work here a year. Could be a little more, a little less, but you know, I'm not going to be a career guy. And I worked my tail off and learned an absolute ton from them. And at a certain point, my dad at that point had just bought another company. Okay. And he said, Hey, you know, we're getting ready to kick off this construction. I need you to come back. So I came back and then the rest was history. So, uh, in the lumber business, I came back and knew he bought another, he bought another location. If you want to call it, he he bought another location. So how a little, this is kind of off subject, but how do you compete with the Lowe's and the home depots and mass forest lumber and all that? So very easily if you're not in Oklahoma city. And so we, our locations were not in Oklahoma city. So we were not trying to sell dishwashers and appliances. We were selling materials to build a house or commercial construction. And so Lowe's and Hope Depot do not win that battle. The independents do because, one, you have to have a ton of volume and you have to buy in such a large quantity. You know, we had a lot more lumber than Lowe's and Depot did on the ground. Really? And actually, Lowe's and Home Depot were bad. I think forced lumber. Forced, yes. Yeah. So Some forced, of those guys are the ones that just... Yeah, those are did the whole house package for you and delivered all of it. Yeah, and they're they were what we did was exactly what they do. They just do it in Oklahoma City and Norman. So we didn't deliver into those areas. So we were more on the outlying, the small okay. Mustangs, Newcastle, Tuttle, Blanchard, yeah, the small town, the smaller town. So, yeah. um, you know, that's where we figured out how we could do it and we could do it really well. Yeah. How long were you working with your dad? So I came back in '04. Um, I, I bought, I started to buy into the business in 2007. I remember because that's when we got married. So I first started to buy in uh, and it's just owner financed from my dad, uh, which we can talk about that. You know, that's kind of sure. Industry. Definitely. How did that yeah. work? What did, like, how did you set that up with working inside the business? Was it part of your salary? Yeah. So we, um, you know, it's kind of like you just do what was done before you. So my dad bought the business from his dad, owner financed. And, and that's what we did. So we literally took the same formula. And I remember when it worked out, he said, okay, here's what I'm gonna sell you. So you bought the whole business or just part? So we bought part okay. um, in the beginning. And then as we moved on, was buying more. Um, initially, it was ended up being about 20% is what uh, that 2007 was. And I remember we went over the terms and he said, you know, I, I bought the business from my dad at 18%. And, you know, so that seems about interest. fair. Yeah, interest. Yeah. And I said, so he bought 18%. it in like 70, yeah. 78. Yes. Yeah. yes, he did. I thought, wow, that's kind of high. But, you know, like, that's what we did. And that's what we're going to do. Oh, is and that what he did? So I said, I, I, I think we can do a little better. We ended up, uh, I think, selling on 9%. So I, but the reality is, I couldn't go out and borrow the money. I mean, yeah. I, I wasn't going to be but able to. He just to, changed the price. He just, so we of just. the business, basically. So we, we, he, we agreed to those terms and, you know, and I just wrote him a check every month. And so ideally what would happen would, we'd come to our year end being a privately held business, you manage for the taxes. So we would have a profitable year. We'd pay ourselves a bonus. I would turn around and then just issue him checks mm-hmm. for that, for that with, year. With the bonus money? Yep, with the bonus money for the And how long did you do that for? So that first round was seven years and then wow for 20 percent yep and then just kept continuing to buy more after that 
to where when we sold in 2018, um, you know, fast forward to that, you know, he was still owner and he had ownership. It was just, we had worked down the equity piece. So gotcha. How much did you end up owning in 2018? So we were, I was about, it ended up being 50, 50. Okay. Yeah. All right. And so you already kind of preluded, you sold in 2008. Why did you sell in 2018? So very clear. And I usually tell employees this, you know, I do not have a passion for two befores and four by eight plywood. <laughs> yeah, I do not. And I never did. Um, but I love business and I love systems and procedures. And so from 2007 to 2018, we ended up doubling our sales. So we wow. were started at about 5 million. We ended up when we sold, we were doing over 10 million annually in revenue. And I mean, the capital cost to run that was Tell them that inventory and inventory yeah. and equipment and receivables and receivables. You know, we had a million dollars in receivables. I had 2 million in inventory. Mm-hmm. I had 3 million in equipment. We owned all the real estate. It just got to be where it was like so much, so much, so much risk. And, and we had, so, in, and then in 2014 or 13, we expanded again. We built another location. So at that time I had borrowed money from a bank, traditional mm-hmm. lending, uh, to do that deal. And, you know, I was like, I gotta make these payments. You know, it was easy for me to get the money. It was really easy because I was good at my presentation and good at my pitch and my, and we had a long standing yeah, yeah. relationship with my bank. Business. And then I got, golly, I've got to make these payments. And so once I started making these payments, I'm like, this is, this is hard. You know, this, it's a lot of cash yeah. to make the payments, which, you know, you know, that's something, uh, I'm writing an article on it, but average business in the United States brings a little less than 7% to the bottom line, mm-hmm. meaning if you million in sales, 70,000 to the bottom line, that's Correct. before taxes. So Correct. make it, uh, four or 5%. Yep. Well, you're not borrowing sales. So the interest rate is not times sales. But let's say that 2% of your sales winds up being interest. It's half the money you earned. It's half the money you earned. Now, you're repaying debt, so it's not a loss, but it's half the money you earned. It can just really have to have a good grasp on what leverage can do for you and what it does to you. And I quickly learned that cash lived in the bank and profit was completely on paper. And, <laughs> and we, we were very profitable. Have you ever heard of a profit first? I have. I just ordered it from Amazon. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> yeah. No, it's we a, had Mike McCallum on here, but yeah, that's his. That's his whole point. Yes. Is uh, r- profit is on paper, and you do have to have profit on you paper. Do. But it, it's not nearly as meaningful as if at least part of it's in the bank. It's in the bank. Yeah, in cash. So you know that was just. Some of the pressure mm-hmm. uh, in 2013, 2014, when we grew, and that and that store outperformed. It was doing better than I expected, and I and this is kind of what led to. So I remember 2013, we bought, we opened in 2014. We had a grand opening, which blew the socks off of all of our expectations. Um, sales were tremendous, transactions were tremendous. I mean, things were going fantastic, and I was just utterly depressed. Oh, I believe it. I left that and I was just like, you know, I've been there. I've done that. It worked. I don't want to do it's it not, again. It's so it's kind of like achieving your, uh, yeah. I've got a book over here from an Israeli guy who's a world handball champion. Mm-hmm. And he wrote his book. I think it's called happiness or something like that. I can't remember. 
but he worked his whole life to be the world champion and he, he accomplished it. He felt good for three days and went into depression for five years. Yes. And it was, I, I, re I remember, you know, my, my kids were at the grand opening, my wife, my family, my in-laws, you know, it was just this huge celebration. And I drove home by myself going, I've just, I've had What did enough. I do? Yeah. yeah. What am I going to do? And, and that's what led me to realize, you know, I'd gotten burned out. Yeah. So, you know, when people yeah. sell their business, the majority of the reason why they're selling is they're just burned out. And yeah. I was, I don't even know how old I was, 34 in 2014. So I ended up going four more years, you know, owning, operating, running, continuing to so grow the business. to ask you how old you are. Uh, I'm, I, yeah, I'm 40. I'm 40. You're 40. So we're 40. talking about, burnt, we've got people listening who are considerably more than that. But it's possible to get burned out by, by successful accomplishment. I was completely it's burned out. Like, We've already, I've already won. I've done it. This yep. is really cool. Yep. Now what? And you know, I think personality of a business owner tends to be, you know, it's never good enough, mm -hmm. and you know, you're just constantly wanting to improve and better yourself. Just that insatiable it's appetite. Game. Yeah, it's, it's a game. game, and that's my athletic background. You know, most people with athletics, that's just kind of how they roll. Well, that was with me, and so, what was next? What was next? You know, I had a conversation with a client this week, and he's exceedingly successful. Mm -hmm. He's in every, and people are after him, wanting to buy his company and all this. But he looked at me and he said, "You know, I'm a romantic." And he said, "Not that my wife would think I'm a romantic. <laughs> you know, not flowers and stuff, but I'm a romantic. This is all a big." I'm, and I laughed because I used the same word to describe myself, and I think I just kind of heard it from you when you said I love the business it's yes. it's this is more than just a thing I do or a place I go or even a game it's just more than that I'm creating I'm helping the world I'm feeding people I'm accomplishing things yes. and I love that and I think some people listening it really helps if you're a romantic <laughs> because it's more than just wake up in the morning oh, another eight hours yes. in the coal mine or ten hours yes. and back at it so Anyway, I think I heard that. And I, I loved my employees, right? Because obviously we were not successful because of just me. But, you know, yeah. we had 47 employees at the time. And, you know, we worked really hard to give them the best life possible. You know, pay them the most that we possibly could. Mm. Benefits, health insurance, 401k, all this stuff. Yeah. And, and you know, and that, that has a, a mission and a purpose, right? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, a business can be used to do good um, but at the same time I didn't over identify and I think that was a, a hard conversation I think I had with my dad and my dad even had with his siblings who were not in the business you just said over identify correct what what did you mean by that with the business with the business so I I didn't over identify I so because um, the business wasn't my last name on the building right? oh, I guess and and, and but yet it was 92 years old when we sold. So my family had owned solely for 92 years. Yeah. There's a nostalgia with that. Mm -hmm. This is gonna go to my kids, their kids, so on and so on and so on. I didn't see it that way. I did not see it that way. I saw it as this is a business that has been wildly successful, blessed beyond our means. I've taken it to as far as I wanna go and I'm not over-identifying with it that my life is this business. I was able to separate 
and see it at a, at one level as a transaction yeah. when we got to that point. But was your dad able to do that? I think that was much harder probably for him. Mm-hmm. And even, like I said, for his siblings who grew up around the business, around the business and, you know, it's kind of like you're, you're, you know, you're selling. It's like, what? Why? Did they work for the business, siblings? Uh, no, no. Did they have a benefit from it? They, they had, my grandfather had given them some shares. Okay, so, so they had a little income, but mostly yeah. it's like, this is who our family is. And they, yeah. Yeah. And so. And did you have siblings that worked in the business? I did not. So okay. I have a sibling, but he did not work in the business. Okay. So it was just me and my dad, just the two of us. Gotcha. Anybody get mad at you? No. No, no. I'm trying to think if there was anybody that got mad. You know, that's something obviously, you know, we can talk about is like when you tell the employees, right? And you're, you're, you're super nervous about how this is going to go and how, how this is going to be perceived. And you know, we can talk about that because that's important. But here's an interesting thing. And this is what I try to do in business brokering. You try to transfer loyalty as quickly as you can to the new buyer. Hmm. As quickly as you can. How do you do that? And Well, you know, you, get, you have some low-hanging fruit. Okay. That, that, that you can allow that new buyer to step in and be the hero. Uh, a, a simple example is um, this company that I'm working with now, we're selling the business, and the new buyer is, you know, the, the employees stand on their feet all day, right? So they're on their feet working. Well, this new buyer has brought in these high-tech mats so that they can stand on. It's just, like, super comfortable. You know, it's, like, not a huge investment, but... These employees, Shows he cares. yeah, they're they thinking, care. wow, this is, oh my gosh, they care. Mm. So, when we told the employees, there was obviously, you know, their first concern is, am I going to lose my job? Well, first of all, you know, you know, nobody's guaranteed that they stay, but when businesses are acquired, they want the employees. Those employees are, are the one of the biggest assets yeah, yeah. that they can have. Absolutely. So every employee was hired. Was you know went through the in, the interview process and was brought on by my acquiring company. And the timing, we can talk about how that works out best. But I remember on the last day, it was a Friday. We were closed on Saturday. We sold Monday morning. I did my last tour, my farewell tour, and the loyalty had shifted away from Hank and onto the new buyer. And this you is know, when you sold your company. When we did, when okay. I sold my company, and so that what they, you know, they would ask like, "Hey, do you have any of those new company T-shirts?" And I'm like, "You know, I'm not going to work for them. I don't have those. You know, I don't. They, they were already had moved on. Right. And I thought, excellent, it worked. Yeah. You know, was it at the time? Was it kind of hurtful? Like nobody was giving me a hug, crying. Nobody cried that I left because they had been transitioned. Yeah. They had been given great opportunities. The health benefits were better at the new company, so it worked out perfect. Yeah. So how long did that transition take? From when the employees knew to when? Yeah, from when they knew to yeah. really transfer was that better months? It was months, less than two months. Okay. It less okay. than two months, and you know the larger the company, you know we had a lot of inventory that did require counting and inventory systems, and so we had to let the employees know about two months ahead of time and um you know brought everybody brought the leadership team in in person we had a meeting with them and then we brought the president of the company in on the meeting so he immediately came in just did a fantastic job kind of calming their nerves he brought them to one of their managers meetings and so on and so on and then it just went from there 
Wow, that's really interesting. Mm -hmm. So it's 2018, mm -hmm. you just had your last day. Mm -hmm. What did, did you take a big break afterwards? I did, I took a break. I you know, had no idea what I wanted to do. So I, I, there was a, a list of things that I did to position myself in 2012 to get my business to where I could sell it. I had no idea if that was going to be in 2014. So, so you, you knew that you wanted to sell back in 2012. Very intentional. What, what were some of the things you were intentional about? Uh, so one, I made myself well-known in the industry. Mm. I was in a lot of publications, magazines, print. Why um, is that? So again, it was just a reputation. I wanted to build this reputation of, you know, this guy's cutting edge. He's new. He's lead. So the lumber industry, there's nothing new and exciting about it. You know, it's, it's a big great, industry, but yeah, it's your great grandfather. Everything is done the exact same way yeah. as it was a hundred years ago. So I was trying to bring a, a new sexiness to a really unsexy industry. And, and trust world sexiest lumberyard man was not very sexy in that. Uh. Attempt, but so I was I was trying to get my name out. I was serving on national committees and boards and industries. So one, I got to know people. I got to know who the players were, the acquirers. I yeah. became friends with them. Uh, two, you know, I worked on eliminating my job. Really? So I made sure that, you know, my job was kind of being the rudder of the ship and directing it as opposed to, you know, I have to physically turn this wrench to make the widget to make it go down the assembly line. So I worked myself out of a job. Yeah. Our system could work without me there. You know, eventually yeah. you have to kind of course correct. But I said, you know, hey guys, stay within these ditches. If you stay within the ditches, everything's going to be fine. I incentivized them to make sure that they yeah. you know, worked hard. My margins were four points higher than the industry standard. Easily four points higher than the industry standard. So boom, I had these higher margins built in, variable costing, all this kind of other stuff. Um, we, in 2014, I realized we had high percentage of our business in oil customers so we we sold oil companies and the next highest or the first highest was residential builders then oil well we all know what happened in mm -hmm. 08 you know that that market collapsed it happens to oil all the time and it happens to oil all the time right now, some, so i some extent so i went and i diversified my customer base i picked up some large commercial accounts so we we hired salesmen whose sole job was to go out and get new business mm. in commercial in commercial that we didn't have so we picked up two or three huge accounts and what that did was this these commercial builders commercial builders yeah okay. um so we had residential we had oil we had agriculture and then now we have commercial, commercial. And it was just okay so now we got that yeah diversified um, we were very diversified um my industry had a super high barrier to entry meaning what do you mean you had, capital. To, you had to have a ton of capital. You had to have a ton of land. So, you know, to operate a store what we had, you needed five acres. Yeah. Try to go buy five acres in Norman. Yeah, not going to It's not going to happen. Um, and then get it zoned for doing what you want to do. Yeah. So, you know, it's a super high capital. Um, you know, and I think to your guys' audience, an owner has to be paid a fair market wage for what they do. Yeah. And too often, I see owners pay themselves too little because they say, oh, you know, I want the business to do well. But that hurts them in the Or end. they take it in draws. and Take it in a draw. Yeah. Or no, that's a big... Take it in a disperse. It's yeah. a big point. And 
psychologically, if you pay yourself what it's worth, it becomes part of your monthly nut that you got to get. That's right. When it's not there, you don't have to because you're going to take a draw which you don't take. Or yeah. Yeah. No, it's it's huge. So and it's honest valuation. Too. Yeah. And so I gives I, you an honest valuation. I paid myself a fa- fair wage for a company that was doing the size of revenue that we did. Um, we had multiple vendors. We weren't solely relying upon one or two. We had a realistic growth strategy to mm-hmm. continue to grow. And um, you know, my, my team was motivated and stable. Was this all due with the intent of ultimately selling? With the intent. And, I, and I, some of this stuff was kind of osmosis that you just like, hey, this feels right. Some of it was learning, reading, but it was with the intent of, I could not see myself at 65 doing what I was doing. Yeah. So yes, I didn't know when that day would come. How long? Four years, three years to kind of really work yourself out of a job, have the processes in, have things delegated to get the extra different markets, the commercial (sighs) market, more suppliers. I mean, I start, I, we, we started day one, so 2004, Okay. but it was, it was a decade. I mean, you know, we, it took, that long because we you know we had a little uphill we had good people and good customers but the rest of that stuff we didn't have and so i worked on building and growing those things it took a long time yeah um you know my dad was very open to say you know he bought this point of sale system which was apar you know the whole it was super expensive at the time in the early 90s and he said, you know, I use that for an expensive cash register. You know, that's all he used it for, right. just money in, money out, money in, money out. We didn't track inventory. We didn't know what we had. You didn't? At the time, no. Ooh. So yeah. he bought it and he had it, but it just wasn't a priority to him to figure out how to use it. So and that was the first thing. I was like, okay, how do we use the system that you own to help give us the numbers that we know how to manage our business? So, you know, that took years to get that up. Yeah, now you... Inventory is a large part of your business. It was a big part. I mean, that's that's one of the main purposes of your business. It was. Uh, most of our listeners don't think of inventory no. contractors or builders even as uh, what their business exists for, but they have it, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and so they they need to know it. They do. And so you think about like a, a contractor, a home builder today. So I would sell that builder the materials. We deliver it to the job site. Now. For your clients, they need to go and they need to check that in. Oh, I, I, you know, and so we would, because we didn't want to be, you know, screwed by saying, right. "Hey, you delivered this bundle of OSB and I can't yeah, find yeah. it." So we, again, talk about trying to be industry leader. You know, we took pictures of everything well in advance. We marked a, a, a pick ticket that we, uh, like UPS, stuck to the material. So we were ahead of our time back in that day. And so your builders need to, they, that's inventory. No, I hear that. Uh, I hear, well, <clears throat> I'm actually thinking of inventory sitting in shops and on trucks, but mm-hmm. on, uh, and not mentioning any particular company, but I have clients who said, well, we went out there and count, they buy a whole house, mm-hmm. right? I mean, the trust and everything gets delivered in a bundle. Nobody counted anything. There could be 42 before it's missing. It could be. Which used to be 80 bucks, and what is it now? <laughs> Thousands. Yeah. 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 And they don't have any process for that. And if they do go count it, compare it to what? To what the ticket the driver gave them? Yes. 
but then how does it get back to the, anyway? So so there's inventory, and oh, you know, as, yeah. as a builder, you know you can't everything sitting out there it, is inventory sitting there. Of the you know, you've got employees that like you know are they cutting a tube of six as opposed to just getting the the length you know ten boards oh, yeah. down you know so they own that inventory. There is inventory control that they. Can I, work I have to mention this. I have a uh, an example in my book of a true story of. of there you go plugging your book again. What's that? There you go plugging your book again. <laughs> and I'm not finished. I'm not finished. But uh, he built about 60 homes and uh, spec homes. And we managed to get his margins at 3%. And that 3% was the same as building and selling 18 homes under wow. his old margin. Wow. So I always tell people, what would you rather do? Build 18 homes and hold them and sell them. Hope you sell them, or get your margins up three percent. And the three percent came from shrink. this kind of thing. That's why I thought shrink of it. Shrink loss. Well, shrink loss. This in a particular design he had, he could add like 800 square feet. No, he could add 50 square feet for 800 dollars. Okay. Well, 50 square feet times Oklahoma people yeah. will laugh, but 150 dollars a square foot is a lot more than 800 dollars. Right. Just stuff like that. And it was just little, it was always little things, but right. just like you said, controlling inventory is a big, right. big part of it. Talking yes. about inventory uh, and the industry that you used to be in, when you see what the lumber prices are now and what they reached, what, yeah, what, what, did, what your was the million, high? Your two you know? million would have been six million. Uh, you know, so I mean, I, I've I've heard just kind of from friends that I've kind of tried to keep up with. So you know, a, that typical house in Oklahoma, two thousand square feet. You know, we used to sell a full lumber pack, you know, that's yeah. going to get it quote unquote in the dry, $20,000. That's $50,000. Right. Right now? Right now. Holy so cow. Two and a half. And just, it is flattening, it is flattening out right now it is and kind of maybe and coming back. Yeah, but uh, yeah. So at the yeah. all time high, you know, we're talking two and a half times, times. what yeah. it was. And how would that have like made you sweat as a, as okay, an owner here's, operator? Here's another example. I was talking to a guy. So I'm, I'm working on an acquisition right now, and he was just telling me a story. He said, I bought a carload of OSB, so that's a, you know, comes in on a railroad car. And he said, I saved the invoice and I framed it because I, I pray I never see it again. It cost him $720,000 to buy a carload of one OSB. car. And, you know, you're typically buying one or two a month. $720,000. So talk about capital, talk about the cost of money. My line of credit was five hundred thousand dollars. <laughs> yeah. I, I couldn't even have covered one car. Yeah. So insane of how that price and how that has to then trickle down to your clients. They got to prepare. You know, the worst thing that a, a builder can do is not know the market and not know that that sheet used to cost thirty. Now it costs thirty-five. Now it costs forty. Now it costs forty-five. And you know, it's costing forty-five dollars a sheet where I used to sell it eight dollars. Right. I mean, it's not just builders. I have four cabinet manufacturers, cabinet manufacturers. and they're all buying plywood and no. aluminum. Uh, my HVAC guy said, you know, he, they've occasionally got to buy, uh, you know, a two before a sheet of plywood, and he's like, oh my gosh, what's <laughs> happened? Yeah, know, it's it's you've got to pay attention to those. It's things. so nuts. So I want to talk about your transition from, you know, you took this break after you sold in 2018. Mm-hmm. What landed you on becoming a business broker during that time? Took a break, had no idea what I wanted to do, knew that I loved being around people and business owners and talking to people. 
Yeah. So I knew that was what it was going to be some way, somehow. Okay. And I loved the art of the deal. Mm. Okay, so those Donald are, Trump's book. No, or, no. no. <laughs> yeah. the concept. I, the guy, yeah, I, I I loved the deal. So one, I learned a ton of mistakes that I did through my own transaction, uh, and then I had personal friends who again come out of the woodworks who were my age, and they said, "Hey, can I can I come to your office?" So we kept our office. Our corporate office did not go with the acquisition. Oh, okay. So, um, you still have today? And that's where I still work today. Okay, cool. Uh, because they didn't need that, so that was great. So we kept it. So one, that allowed me to go to work every day to kind of prepare for what that future looked like. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I was going to my office, and I was learning and reading. And, you know, friends would call, and they'd say, can I come and sit with you and have a conversation at your office? I'd say, Sure you know, thought we'd be talking about sports or whatever. And, you know, they'd say, Hey, I want to sell my business to you <laughs> because you had done it. They were like, Hey, what was this? And, and similar things, you know, burnout being yeah. young. And so, you know, we talks about that. And so I'd say, okay, well, here's what you need to do. Let's do this, do this, do this. And so we kind of go through and I say, here's what I did. I can only tell you what I did. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that happened three times and then end up kind of understanding that there is a place that I can make a career to help. And as I said in the beginning, I love Oklahoma City. I want Oklahoma City to be the best it can. And there are 10,000 baby boomers that are turning 65 every day in the U.S. Two-thirds of all small businesses are owned by that generation. Mm-hmm. What's going to happen? Are they just going to poof, go away? There are really good businesses that need to stay in business. Yeah. Communities need them. Communities employees need, need them. Employees need them. Yeah. And I, uh, I just don't want to see those go away. Yeah. So you know that's the purpose behind doing what I'm doing now is just kind of evolved. It kind of started into like just a consulting, and then it ends up being just really strictly brokering um, because I didn't, I didn't have the patience for consulting. Um, you know, to try to say, okay, here's what you got to do. Let's hold your hand. Let's do it. You know, that's what you do, Martin, to help them get to the point. Because there are a lot of people that they just are not ready to sell. They need to do step one, two, three. But there are those people that are say, I'm ready. And my clients are wanting out. They want to sell their business. They want, they're not looking to raise capital. They're not looking to raise debt to expand. Mm-hmm. They're not looking for investors. They are looking to sell those assets to somebody else so that they can do the next thing in their life. Whether that's retirement, golf, Florida, <laughs> pay for their kids college, start another business. Yeah, start, start another, another business. business. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. So, so one of the there, there are so many things I'm sure our listeners are going get to this, get to this, get to this, but one really interesting thing people want to know is what's my business worth? Mm. How do you how do you go about giving somebody an idea? of what their business is worth. Sure. So first, we do that all day, every day. So that would be just an evaluation or even an appraisal service. So, you know, um, my business does those. So if somebody says, I don't even know what my business is worth, um, Diamond Financial, who is a clearinghouse for SBA loans, they said that around 84% of business owners have 
no idea what their business is worth. Zero. And yet it's their largest asset. That's mm-hmm. 100%. That's... Okay. So that's the first thing. Most people say, you know, I just don't know what I'm worth. I don't know who'd buy me. So, you know, there's a process that we can go through to really kind of give you that number. Literally give you a yeah, number. Just just for listeners, though, can you talk sure. about, you know, How? people know about the multiples or they yeah. think it's worth what my trucks and my cash and what yep. my real estate just something that somebody driving around could go, whoa. Sure, sure. So we do it on three three different levels or different qualifiers, okay? So most people call me and they say, you know, I Googled and it says, you know, six times. Oh, I'm like, six times what? Six times revenue, six times. You know, they all throw out EBITDA. They don't know what it really means. Right. Um, interest before earnings before interest taxes depreciation amortization right. well i had one guy who was throwing in his property taxes his oh, uh, yeah. payroll taxes right now, that's Any not kind of tax yeah anything that, that, that on his p l said taxes i'm like that's that's not it so you got to understand that uh and and what you read about on the internet is not reality you know that's just the high level talk and so you can't say a lumber company is going to sell for six times as well as a a restaurant yeah, right. They're totally different. So the approaches that we use in doing evaluations, one's going to be the cost approach. So that's strictly like you were saying, Martin, what are my assets worth? A business is going to be worst is going to be worth at the very minimal what the assets are worth. So if you've got trucks, equipment, furniture, fixtures, inventory, S- sellable assets, sellable assets. Yeah. So that's the first. The second is the market approach which we will take comparable transactions in similar sizes, similar industries of privately held businesses and compare those to where you are. So we look across the country. Now that's kind of hard because what's happening in Oklahoma is not happening in California, but you know, we do that. And then the last is the income approach, which is the most important because that deals with cash, cash flow, and that EBITDA. is where you get into multiples. That's of when you get earnings, into multiples. Which yeah. EBITDA is this re, kind of restated earnings. That's right. It is. Uh, and in a small business, a small run business where the owner is heavily involved, you know, we like to use a term called seller discretionary earnings. So that's going to take anything that is associated with the income of that owner. And the Hawaii uh, board trip that cost forty thousand, the Cadillac Escalade, the, the kids' cell phones, yeah, the uh, football tickets, football the, t- yeah, the, the hunting lease, right. so on and so on and so on. And we say, you know, if that owner goes away, what is the new owner truly going to get in a cash flow perspective? Which I think, you know, it's good to talk about. You know, I'm sure you guys talk about. You know, there's there's a hobby, there's a job, there's a business, and there's an investment. <laughs> so a hobby costs you money to do. Right. And there are people that have, you know, businesses that are hobbies, meaning they're putting money in, putting money in, putting money in, nothing's coming out. Yeah. A job means you are paid for your time, mm-hmm. meaning that you have to come in, you gotta clock in, you gotta turn the widget to Trading make the time product. for money. Trading time for money. Then there's a business which you got some systems in place. You can take a couple weeks vacation. It's a high risk job. It's a high risk job. (laughs) (laughs) You're still putting in the time, but you're just not getting paid. (laughs) That's right. And then there's the investment. So every buyer wants an investment. They want this, you know, cash cow that's 
you know, sitting on this pedestal that they can just come in, swoop in, buy it, and then just get my mailbox money. Okay, again, that's very rare. Um, but those are the different levels, and so it has to go back to the income. That is ultimately what does drive the, the that's value. That's why they're doing it. Yeah. And, and, and so when we do evaluation of a business, and then I try to go sell it, the most important piece is you have to determine, is that bankable? Let me, let me throw one thing out because this will come up all the time. Somebody's thinking it. So it's income, which is simplest statements. It's your profit, mm -hmm. right? That's their return on their investment. So the more secure that is, the more likely that is to continue, the more you'll get because that's the return on investment. But I talk to people and they go, well, wait a minute. You know, if I'm, I'm going to pull some total random numbers. I made a million dollars last year, and you're telling me I might get a three multiple. So you're telling me I'll get $3 million. Yeah. Well, my building's worth $15 million. Mm -hmm. Yeah. My trucks are worth 800000 my inventories. So they get, do they get all that for, so how would yeah. you, how do you address that? I, I kind of know they're, yeah, it's so, a little complex. But. So in Oklahoma, uh, we are an asset-rich state. A lot of businesses own their real estate. Okay, you get to the coasts, the real estate is too expensive. Majority of business owners don't own the real estate. But in Oklahoma, compared to, we're cheap. And I know the prices are going up and it's... Uh, we're inexpensive. Inexpensive. We're not... Nobody not in Oklahoma is cheap. No, inexpensive. <laughs> a real estate transaction and a business transaction need to be treated as two separate transactions. Mm -hmm. Okay, so... So they might substitute what would be rent to Correct. reduce. Correct. So what about other than, so that's a, yeah. that's a great point. So, so Generally need, real estate real is estate. not part of that. Yeah. What if I got a bunch of semis yep. or I got a concrete mixer or some plastering machinery? Now is, is that gonna roll into the? Yeah, okay, so let's use your example. Um, company makes a million dollars net profit, sells for three times, three million dollars, they've got Let's say they've got $2 million in equipment, concrete trucks, equipment, you know, they, and he's spent $2 million. Well, one, accounting-wise, there's been some depreciation right, that's right. come off. This is not worth what it is. No, there's replacement And in costs. fact, it's not worth what it was. Right. Well, maybe it is, but usually not. So make it simple. Martin, would you buy a stock? It's easy to think about. Would you, buy, would you pay $200 for a stock that in one year is going to be worth $100? and gonna give you no return? Of course not. Absolutely not. So think about it in simple terms, I'm just a simple guy of a business. Would you pay $2 million for a business that has all this stuff, it's tangible, that next year is gonna be worth a million and didn't even pay you a fair wage? Absolutely not. So it's hard to look business owners in the eyes and say everything that produced that $1 million okay has to go with the business. That That's kind of the way I explain it to mm -hmm. guys, is that, hey, they're buying this income, so whatever it takes to produce it is what they're buying. And if it's worth more than a three multiple, then go sell it. That's right. That's your exit strategy. Sometimes it is liquidation. Call the auctioneer right. and sell it. Now, what about um, cash, debt, mm -hmm. and inventory? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay? Those three things. So. I've got a million in CDs, man. I'm not selling my company for three times and giving that money. Yes. So what about those three, cash, debt, and inventory? So 
the difference would be in the different types of transactions. Okay. An asset sale versus stock sale. Ninety nine percent of the sales are going to be an asset, asset sale, sales. even yeah. if there's not tangible assets. So a guy has a computer service business, right? That's still going to be an asset sale, even though he doesn't have trucks, equipment, and everything. So not just ninety nine percent of the deals are going to be asset sales. So when you have an asset sale. The bank, so if you have a million dollars in the bank account in cash, that goes with the seller because it's not, I'm sorry, with the, yeah, with, with the, the seller. Yeah, it stays, it stays, stays with stays, the seller. stays yeah. with the current owner right. because it's not a stock sale. The, the debt, oh, that also, also stays. Yeah. So I get a lot of conversations where they say, you know, we do an evaluation and it says, yeah, your company's worth a million dollars. Well, they say, I've got 1.2 million in debt. Well, you, yeah, well, yeah, well, hey. you're you're upside down. Yeah, so that is a, a distressed, you know, a distressed business. So whatever. So yeah, the debt goes with it in a stock sale. Um, the what was the other, so in a in inventory a, in, a, in an inventory like, like we'll if go, there's a bunch of inventory is that is that gonna that's gonna go with the business. Now uh, okay. I've worked on it. get is that an add-on to the price? I mean, so we so two scenarios. Um, one, an example that I worked on is a, a jewelry store. Okay, so a jewelry store had millions of dollars in inventory, more than they needed. That inventory wasn't all necessary immediately for the business to be open and operating. So they had way too much inventory in dollars based on an ROI, return on that investment. So we had to get creative. The current owner actually kept 70% of that inventory personally owned it and would then sell it to the buyer as a vendor. But you're saying the buyer in that case got a fundamental, a fundamental amount inventory. of inventory. Correct. And that so was that's a, kind of, we'll call that leave working capital. They leave that in there. Yep. Okay. So that was an example. Another example was, um, oh, okay. A guy had, uh, used to do a lot of oil service business. You know, obviously he had tons of trucks, tons of you know, hauling stuff back and forth. Um, well, that business dropped significantly. He had about 15 or 20 semis, but he really only needed five. So when we looked at this and we said, you only need five to, to, pr to produce the revenue in the business, go sell 15. So before completing got the transaction. Rid of them, so it wasn't a negotiated point. That's right. They, so, they were yeah. gone. So he, he sold them. He yeah. just went out on the open market, sold let me let me ask you. I don't want to confuse things too much, but I have a follow-up question to this. You talked about an asset sale, yes, and a, I don't know what you call it, an equity sale, equity but a stock, stock sale. sale. Yeah. Okay. So, would you explain the difference? Uh, you know, just in general terms. Yeah. So, uh, a stock sale. You talked about the bank, the debt, the AR. They're, they're buying. They're buying balance that. sheet. They're buying the balance sheet. Exactly. That's the big difference. They're buying the balance sheet and they're buying the corporation. So right. the corporation is going to exist and not change. Just different ownership. It's just a different ownership. So I got a little LLC. Mm -hmm. uh, is that a corporation? It is. Oh, okay. So I could sell that little <laughs> LLC and it would be on. It would. Okay. You it doesn't have to be, you know, New York Stock Exchange. It doesn't have to be. So most I'm are selling my company. Most are LLCs and S corps. You know, C corps. That's what we call. That's, that's not really who you and I talk to. The most. double taxation. Uh, yeah. which is unfortunate and I uh, worked with a guy 
who had a C Corp. It was just the way he'd been set up and, you know, come to find out. And this is what you got to do. This is what we help people with is like, what are your after-tax proceeds going to be? So we call a C Corp a double taxation because it's going to be taxed on the business and taxed on yeah, the personal tax side. Distribution. Yep. So an asset sale, somebody comes in and buys everything that you are but not your company but that includes the name the phone number your website correct your material and as far as a disinterested public nothing happened but it is in a new company that's exactly right okay the uh, equity sale the stock Talk sale to. they literally buy your company they literally buy the liabilities go with it the un the unknown lawsuit that's hanging out there that they try to find out about and due yep. diligence that can happen yep but so for our listeners, most of them would be subject would would sell in an asset sale. Yes, I mean, ninety nine percent. Yeah, I mean, we just so we'll just talk about that. Mm-hmm. They're going to get some multiple of earnings. Mm-hmm. Earnings are a little different than the straight up P and L, but anyway, mm-hmm. some multiple of earnings. Mm-hmm. They're generally going to get to keep their cash. Mm-hmm. They're going to keep their debt, mm-hmm. and they're going to sell separately their real estate. Correct. Going to leave some inventory, but not excess. So yeah. somebody driving around, if they have good books, which they've been listening to us, they at least ought to be oh damn sure working on them. They should. It's yeah. the number one thing if you want to sell your business. If you don't have good books, you ain't going to get a price. Uh, totally. I mean, some somebody might. I, that's a good question. How many of the people that come to you looking to sell their business, about what oh, percentage man. of them have rock solid book? Oh, oh it's, it's, a, it's, it's frustrating. Um, not very many. Can so, I ask it in a different way? Yes. Have you ever seen a business come to you with rock solid books? <laughs> <laughs> that narrows the question. No, I, I'm still looking for that perfect business. I haven't found it. But uh, yeah, you know, so I will ask. The first thing I ask, I have to get from a business owner is, you know, can you give me three to five years P&Ls and balance sheets and tax returns? And, you know, the m- m- most response is going to be, let me call my CPA. We'll have it in a couple weeks. Yeah, or I can get you tax returns, but they're all glunked together. Yeah, they're all glunked. They don't give you and so going back to what I did, you know, instantaneously, I would be able to run my financials instantly. You know, yeah. I didn't have to ask, didn't have to, I pushed the button and boom, there it is. Every live, every moment. So, oh, please, please work on That's those after financials. That's you got your inventory after, you know, Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Years it took to get that with a lot of tweaks and, oh, this right. still isn't right. It still isn't right. But no, you have to have that. Is that one of the biggest delays in a deal for you? Or from the moment someone comes in is like, well, we've got to get the books figured out first. The delay in, in doing an evaluation is the books. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. For sure. Interesting. Here's kind of a, uh, on the delay of that, one thing I noticed, somebody said, and we referred to it in a previous podcast, that if your books are a mess, so is everything else. Yes. And so they're an, that's an indication. If you've got really good books, you're probably going to find a lot of other things are looking pretty Absolutely. Yeah. And you know, it's just, it just shows that level of professionalism, right? And you want, you want to be level of professionalism. I'm Mm -hmm. going to use that. Yeah. When you, when you go to an acquirer, you know, acquirers are always going to be bigger. So, so they're, they bring a level of professionalism, a level of sophistication beyond you. You're not, you're not going to sell to somebody that's smaller than you. You, This just isn't going to happen unless they've got some (laughs) <laughs> rich uncle that's just looking to invest. You're gonna sell to somebody bigger. So you gotta you gotta play the game. You got to be yeah. on their level. Yeah. It's a good point. You mentioned that, you know, you you sold because of burnout. Mm-hmm. Um and it sounded like some of the people that came to you right afterwards sold because of burnout. Mm-hmm. What are some of the reasons that people sell their business? Uh so burnout, 
um, people call me because they're just not making enough money and they just don't know what else to do. Um, what a payday. They want a payday. Health issues. I've, I've been unfortunate to help a couple widows mm. who the founder passed built away. the company passed away. So there's death, there's divorce, um, there's partnership re- disagreements, partnership somewhere. disagreements, disputes. Uh, there is, you know, they got to relocate to a new city. They want to invest into a new business. Um, and the last is retire. Of all those, retire is the only one that you as a business owner choose. You make that destiny yourself. When you're sick, you don't choose that. When you have a divorce or a partner dispute, you don't choose that. When you're not making money, you, you kind of choose that, but it happens to you. Right. Retirement is the only thing that you so choose to do. Burnout mm. happens to you. So those are the reasons why they sell. You ha- I tell people that as a business owner, the reason why you want to sell is more important than the price and the terms of selling your business. What do you mean? So if this business is so good, <laughs> why in the world do you want to sell it, Martin? Why do you want to sell it? Why do you want to sell it? If it's so good and it's making so much money, why do you want to sell it? The reason why you want to sell has to be so clear that it tells the story of why you want to get out. Um, you know, you can't just say. You're talking about in negotiations with prospective buyers. That's right. Yeah. Okay. Because if an owner does not give me a really clear reason of what they're going to do next, then we need to hit the pause button. Mm. So if they think, I love golf, I'm going to play golf every day. Mm. Yeah, you will for two months, and then you're not. Then what are you going to do? You've worked here, you know, 60 hours a week for 40 years, and that's going to stop. What are you going to do next? So you have to have that clear purpose and passion of what's next. Yeah. And that doesn't have to be complicated. It can be gardening. I mean, if you think about it, it's it's pretty, it's like selling anything. Like if you're going to buy a used car from someone, like, well, why are you selling this? Yeah. yeah. What's <laughs> like, the reason? Is it well, because and, it's and you're going to show them that, but that's that, I mean, with your financials, but it's the, yeah. it's the well, what's the real reason? One, one other thing, and maybe this is beyond today, but. What about selling part of your business to get a, I'm going to use the word, strategic mm-hmm. alliance? Mm-hmm. You want some capital, mm-hmm. want access to some markets, mm-hmm. you want some a skill set. Mm-hmm. Um, so there is definitely that space. Do you, do you see that? I don't do that. Okay. I don't do any of that. So we just. And, you know, there's a reason why I don't, and we can talk about that. But there, there are places to do that. If you want to sell equity to, or you want to do a debt raise, you're, again, going to have to be pretty big. Yeah. You're going to have to go into the investment banking world. Uh, you know, there's there's a couple startup angel investors things that are gonna that are coming into Oklahoma, but you gotta you gotta have that real clear trajectory to growth because they're taking a risk, right? And what they're doing is they're they're buying into you, mm-hmm. and you're staying. Yeah, and you're also getting them. You're getting them, and that changes your life. It, that's the difference between <coughs> Shark Tank, the TV show. Those guys are investors; they're angel investors. They're they're debt raising, basically, as opposed to an asset sell. Right. Yeah. So uh, forget I forget I said that. Yeah, no, we're talking it, about it, it's so. real, and a lot of people need that, but that's not what I do. Yeah. So who are the who are the buyers? The sell. I mean, you're gonna. And why do they want to buy? You talked about selling because of retirement and. Yeah, burnout and all the other issues. Who are buyers and 
what what type of buyers are there out there? So it's a great time to buy a business because of what the SBA is doing. So the SBA, you know, misnomer, SBA is not the bank. You don't go and borrow right. money from the SBA. They're a guarantor? They're a guarantor. They guarantor that note 75% to the local bank or national bank so that their risk is minimized. Is minimized. Mm-hmm. The SBA is, is easier to work with than it's ever been. So in Oklahoma, you know, we're heavy in the oil and gas. Well, that's suffered over the last couple of years. So I have probably 10 times more buyers that call me on a regular basis as opposed to sellers. Mm. So I'm going to add two to you before you leave today. Oh, good. I have two people looking. Yeah, so they, so they one, they're tired of the ups and the downs and the ups and the downs. And so maybe they had a good W-2 job at a big company. And, you know, maybe they've been able to save. Maybe they've got a, an aunt or an uncle that's willing to invest in, in them. So they are ready to go out and, you know, live that kind of American dream. Yeah. So that's a great buyer, you know, that they want to be a first-time buyer. I can help them through that process, go through the SBA. So you have to have the business pre-approved. you got to have the buyer pre-approved. you got to know what you're doing to navigate that. Um, so that's the first. There's a lot of people that are looking at Money is cheap. So think about how many uh, $60,000 cars would be out on the road today if there wasn't available financing. Not many. Not many. Yeah. Well, you can borrow money so cheap right now that it's allowing Not 18% anymore? Not 18%. What a deal. (laughs) Your your dad's making money on the spread is what you're telling us. (laughs) You know, so that's an opportunity. Uh, and then you've got these this generation that's 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 getting out, um, and you know, everybody wants to be Warren Buffett. <laughs> everybody wants to be this guy that's you know owns multiple business. And I so when I talk to buyers, I'm I, I'm first I'm really hard on buyers because I want them to have a clear expectation of what they're getting into. This has to be win win win. This isn't just win for the seller. This is not like any other transaction you will ever do before. So I say you have to get into a business that you understand mm-hmm. and you look forward to going to every day. You don't have to know everything about the day in and day out, day one, but you do have to fundamentally understand the business. You have to understand, second, how you are going to grow this business day one. And not just, well, I'm going to work hard. <laughs> What is your plan? Yeah, what's the strategy? To go out and hustle and get and grow and take it from a million and do 1.2, 1.4, 1.6, 2, 3, 4, 5. What is your strategy? And if you can't come up with that, don't buy it. Don't buy it. Yeah. And then last is just get a business that has a fundamental product or service that has a value to its customers. And if you do, that's going to stay and that's going to be there for the long term. Yeah. Um, you know, we're not into speculation. You know, I don't do speculative business buys that, you know, they, they've they done so much revenue, but we believe they're going to do two, three. No, it's you're buying a business based on the past, yeah. based on the history. Mm. But you like to see a reason for growth. You have to see the reason <laughs> yeah, for growth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You have to see the reason for growth. I mean, and the, the seller should be able to present some of that, too. And a lot of times when you're talking about the 65-plus older, you know, that reason for growth can be kind of easy because the business owner is just tired. They just, they've coasted, you know, they're Mm -hmm. in, you know, usually everything's paid off. There's no debt. So then 
they don't have to work as hard for that income as they did when they were right. in their 40s and their 50s. They've made it. So yeah. there's, there's a sense of coasting. And so you will tend to see sales decline year over year over year. And that's just, I've, you know, you see that and you just say, okay, this is an unmotivated seller. That's, and that's fine. Yeah, absolutely. Because that can present a value to a buyer. Right, to recapture that. That's right. And as a seller, you just have to realize it is what it is. This is the bed that you've made. You've got a line. So, and I think one thing that we haven't really, or maybe I missed it, but, um, you know, if, if you're also just a business owner right now and you're looking to grow, mm-hmm. you can grow through that acquisition mm. as well. Mm. Does, are, do you work on any deals like that? Yeah. So one, that was how I grew, you know, that you can grow organically or you can go through acquisition. Yeah. Um, and you, Which is another type of buyer, somebody that's, that's handing right. you on. And, that's right. Yeah. Uh, so, you know. When we go out and look for buyers, there's what I said of you know, people that are just looking to be that first-time buyer, and then there's strategic buyers. Yeah. So a strategic buyer is in the industry; mm-hmm. they're in that uh, SIC code right now, doing this business, and they are either geographically not in your area, maybe you've got some product that they don't currently have, or maybe they've got a patent that they want, and they just bolt you on. Mm-hmm. So that's a strategic. Yeah, buy. maybe their sales just go up, but their overhead doesn't. So exactly. Better they've got they've got the the so infrastructure. They can support it. Yeah, without and that, adding a whole bunch. And, and typically, a strategic buyer typically pays a little more than a first time buyer because yeah. they do have fundamental understanding of the business. You know, if you're going to sell a, a laundromat, you know, you kind of want another laundry guy to come in there and go, okay, here's how much chemicals they use, here's how many hangers, here's how much plastic. I know I can improve this, 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 boom, we're good. Keeps them, it's just- Send them all to my cleaning processing plant, and that's one all. more yes. whole store. Right. Yeah. And then what about private equity? That's something that we haven't really talked about a whole lot, which yep. is really big in the selling and buying of businesses. Tons of press. What is private equity? So private equity is going to be, you know, some of them are regulated by the SEC, so you've got companies that are going out and doing a, a capital raise and that's that's open for a certain period of time so they say for one year we are going to raise capital so investors people that have money that want to put into the private equity fund they give a hundred thousand dollars for that private equity then to use that money along with all the other pool of investors to go out and buy businesses typically in a named area or industry or something. Industry, yeah. yeah. So, you know, there's a lot of talk about it. Um, a lot of people think they're private equity when they're really not. Um, there's a lot of regulations and rules that go in with private equity. So private equity, um, they reach out to me all the time. They're only going to buy a business that has a minimum of a million-dollar bottom line, whether that's EBITDA or cash flow or whatever, up to... You know, this is the number goes up 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 million. They're looking for the big fish in the pond. Right. So majority of our clients and your clients and your listeners aren't that type. There are a few, but that's, that's not who's going to be the players. But won't they also, once they do have that big fish in that pond, they may consider buying some of the smaller fish strategically. As strategic buyers, right? So they're or not just, as much. They're just very they. So I talked to a private equity guy. He had been doing this for 25 years. He said, when he first started, he might look at 
you know, nine deals a month. Wow. He looks at 10 to 15 deals per day. Wow. That's just how big this has gotten and how many they turn down. And yet he only does, he only will, you know, have, participate in maybe four transactions a year. Oh, so, so he's to, looking at a lot of deals, but he's, he's not doing a lot of he's deals. He's not doing a lot. And so they have just gotten so good at show me the deck, look through it, nope, it's out. Show me the deck, look through it, nope, it's out. So it's just a constant flow of businesses and opportunities. They're wow. very strict on what they do. They don't, I mean, they're good at what they do. They're not going to take a ton of risk. Yeah. It's really a pretty, and again, we go back to job, hobby, business, investment. They're buying investments. Yeah. How long does it take? And uh, we're going to presume that you already got good books, right? So there's yeah. three years minimum. Okay. So you get got, caught up. You got done, good books. You've done all that work. Right. Everything's ready. You're mentally, as an owner, prepared. So the business is ready. The owner's ready. Yeah. Which is not what usually happens. Which is not what usually happens. But in this world, it happens. So I tell people, I don't know how long it's going to take. And if I did, I'd be lying to you. But what we have found through statistics and through what we've said, if a business sells for a million dollars or less, I tell people expect 12 to 16 months. If it sells for a million dollars or more, expect 12 and above. You know, if if a business doesn't sell within, you know, if it's not under contract within the first year, the likelihood of it selling is not very good. Wow. So why try to sell a business for two years, three years? I, I have had clients come to me that have you know, there are there are companies out there who charge a retainer to sell their business. So what's the motivation to sell? Zero. So this one widow had been paying a retainer for three years to a company to sell their business. So in every month she's making a payment, making a payment, making a payment. And she had not sold the business. Well, you know, fortunately, I cold called her one day. She was like, Wow, uh, here's the situation. She got out of her agreement and had them under contract within eight months of when we got her books in order in the, in the presentation right. deck pitched. So, so you can actually find a broker that will screw you over. Uh, you know, I hate to say that, but th- there are bad apples. Yeah. And, 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 those, and there aren't any of those in Oklahoma, but there are companies in the big cities, Dallas. Yeah, Houston. they send out. They send out. Buyers. I've had, I've had uh, clients call me up, you got an offer to buy, and I'm thinking, no, you didn't, because I know how much money you made, and it was minus $35,000 last month. <laughs> and, oh, no, they couldn't fit me. I said, no. Yeah, it's unfortunate. And I think that's the that's a, a unfortunate uh, stipulation that I have to overcome. You know, uh, you know, I'm But if busy. you can overcome it, I'm sure that you get that trust pretty quickly. And that that's why I only represent people in Oklahoma, because I want to build trust. I want to build communication. I want to drive by the business. You know, I want to see... Right what's happening. I want to know why you've done something on the outside. You know, I drove by one and I was like, hey, you don't have all your equipment out front. Oh, well, I'm scaling back my inventory. Well, I'm like, okay, you're going to have to get it back up at some point. Um, So, yeah, I want to build that trust. So there are companies that do charge a retainer and, you know, I just don't feel like that there's motivation to sell it. So how long does it take? There you go. Well, I mean, if things if things are going well and teed up, and you've got a real negotiation going on, and I don't know how much time we have, but we can kind of talk about the process mm-hmm. too. But 
I think there are two fundament, more fundamental questions before we do that, like how you go out and find buyers. And yeah. But if if you really got serious people, maybe yeah. two or three of them looking, and you select, and you get a letter of intent mm -hmm. or or a, some other document. Yes. Um, it's still going to take six months to a year to eighteen months. Not not in my sin my, my oh, scenario. So if you get that far, it's much yeah. Less. So so what we do is I want to do all of that work ahead of time. So I want to be able to go into the due diligence process okay. day one. So I've already got tax returns, customer records, okay. asset lists. So the twelve to eighteen months is, is, is serious, capable, reasonable buyer putting together. It's like a home loan. You got to. We come have, up with all those damn documents have, that yep, you've yeah. read about but don't know where they are um and <laughs> not if if so time kills all deals period so there is no reason why the due diligence to last more than two months period i want them to last 30 days because you're prepped we've prepped yeah. and and there's no surprises no surprises um yeah if i was it, gonna i was gonna ask a question before that but you've used the term twice now what is due diligence due diligence so Due diligence is <laughs> when you as the business owner have to reveal all the scars and the warts. There is no hiding. And some people say, well, I'm not showing my bank statements. <laughs> well, you, you know, we have to. We have to show. You know, we, we are giving them these financials. But who's to say you don't just fabricate them? I mean, I can only verify so much. So we take the bank statements. And we have to verify all of those numbers. You've got to go in and make sure, have you paid all your sales tax? Are you back due on property tax? Are you carrying your insurance? Do you have you know, do you have any UCC filings on all your equipment? Your, your guys' clients and listeners probably have a lot of equipment. So do you have, have any liens against that? They have right? liens against those. And maybe they've paid them off, but the bank just hasn't released them. Well, we got to go out and release those right. so that it's... When the assets are sold, they're free and clear to the new owner. Mm. So to your question, you have to have all of that stuff ahead of time. Now, I don't want due diligence to last more than two months, period. And by the time we get to that dance, we're ready to go. Mm -hmm. um, I, I had a guy who came to me and he said, you know, I've had this buyer and I've been working with him for 18 months. He's, he is either robbing you of all of your intellectual property, he's taking all your customers. He's he's dragging you out, and I, and I, you know, unfortunate for you, you have let this go on too long. Not only that, but he, as the business owner, has got the eye off the prize. You know, as a business, I tell my clients, look, it's like a car. You got to have your car washed, buffed, waxed, and your foot on the pedal and hands on the wheel at all times. My job is to bring you pre-screened buyers. Period. You focus on the business. I focus on bringing those pre-screen buyers based on the price that we're going to sell it for. And we sell our businesses for 95% of the list price because we've got it dialed down to where, you know, we're not going to throw out a price high and, and hope we get a stupid buyer. You know, we set a realistic price based on what is bankable, and that's what we're going to sell for. So that yeah. takes me to the question I had before I was going to ask about due diligence. How do people get paid? In other words, ka-ching, Monday morning, ka put this in the bank, I'm out of here. My life is completely satisfied now. I've got this big check. So there's, It doesn't always happen that way. It doesn't always happen that way. Um, so there is a, a stipulation that 
needs to be clarified. So the SBA, sometimes you hear people say, well, the SBA requires that business owner that's selling to maintain some owner finance piece, 10, 15, up to 20%. That's not, that's a bank by bank uh, qualification. Mm-hmm. That doesn't have to happen. An SBA will loan 100% of the purchase price to a potential buyer. In that scenario, that's an all cash payout. So one scenario is all cash. We close, whether that be, you know, if you sell the real estate at a title company or if you're just selling the assets at my office, you get a check. That's all cash. There's earn out and then there's owner carry, both of which are two very different scenarios. Owner carry is you are the Hank Bacchus bank. I'm the bank. So if a business sells for a million dollars, I carry 20%. I am theoretically loaning them $200,000 of my own money that I get back over the terms and the percentage of the, of the time of the business. So if I say I'm gonna loan you $200,000 at 7% for five years, that's a fixed payment that that buyer has to pay to me. As and what, what happens if they go out of business or something terrible happens? Yeah, so, well, it, if you- if After it, the bank. If you're, if you're second, so if, the, if you did get an SBA loan, the bank is gonna get paid first and you're gonna get paid second. So the likelihood of you getting anything is, is minimal. Now, again, we wanna make sure we do everything in our power to not do that. The best scenarios are, I talked to a guy that bought a business last year. I said, you know, text him, how's it going? He said, he called me back. He's like, man, things are great. He's like, I, you know, we've just put these policies in place. Business is growing. He's like, I'm actually looking for a second location. Oh my gosh, that is just fantastic. That is what we wanna hear. Doesn't always happen, but we have to, that's why we are so hard on our buyers to make sure that they know what they're getting so they have that plan for growth so they don't go out of business. Yeah. Now, an earn out is something different. That tends to be something that maybe- What you call a person buyout? Uh, a owner, owner carry. carry. Owner, owner carry. carry. Okay, owner carry. Owner carry, so and you're the earn. bank. You're the yeah, bank. Yeah. An earn out would be something, say, for example, maybe some of your listeners have uh, contracts, have agreements with government parties, the, the Indian tribes, where you know, they've got to deal with them, and over the next two years, they're going to do so much business, right? And maybe they represent a large percentage of their annual revenue, 25, 30, 40, 50%. That buyer has to make sure that that business is going to stay there year two, year three, year four. So you can structure a deal if there's like that high risk to say, I want to do an earnout, meaning if all of these things stay in place, you're going to get X amount of money. But if customer A drops off, quits, then that and it goes back by some percentage, your earnout goes down with it. Mm. So you, as a business owner, have a vested interest to to make sure that you hit all those targets. Right. Each business is going to be different on how that works, but um, yeah, you. To how are you going to get your money? Um, it's going to what be. What percent do you think is uh, cash sale versus uh, owner carrier earnout? <clears throat> it's changed yeah, maybe in, 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 your... the, in the last couple years. Um, it's been significantly more all cash. Hmm. Uh, significantly more again because the financing is available. It's readily there. The SBA, you know, I work with those banks who I know who I have relationships with. Who when I when I give them my deck, 
you know, they trust me and they know that this is good. Right. So they know that it goes a little bit faster. It goes a little faster. Um, and it, it depends on the industry. Sometimes the industries are a little more risky. If the, if the risk in the business is higher, then you are going to carry that, that book, that exit. Uh, so risk and cash are inversely relational. Okay. The lower the risk, the more cash you're going to get, the higher the risk, the less cash you're going to get. Let's take a, a restaurant, for instance. A restaurant with COVID and the shutdown, super high risky. One, restaurants are super risky anyway. You're going to carry because that buyer is going to want to make sure that you have a vested interest to help me, help me succeed. Yeah. So don't just hand me the keys and, and walk away. Make sure you walk with me through this process so that I can pay you back and succeed and grow the business. Yeah, I don't know that we've mentioned that, but like essentially when you sell, it's not always just you walk away. You're Absolutely not. Working. I mean, you said that you for you is a couple months. Yeah, so mo- every one of the businesses, the owner does stay on for some amount of time. What's the longest you've seen that for? Uh, so I've seen as long as three years because the guy was younger, you know, in his 50s, and he loved, he loved what he wa- was doing. He just realized, I'm not a good business owner. He gotcha. loved the business. He loved working. So he sold the business and stayed for three years. Wow. Um, and makes a salary. Makes and, a salary. He's, and he's then paid. is also paid for the business as well. He did a little owner carry. So he's paid for the business. Um, and then as short as two weeks. Yeah. Six months. Yeah. It just, you know, so you, you in, the, in the contract, when you sell a business, you enter into an employment agreement. Mm-hmm. And that spells out how much you're going to get paid, how often, how are you going to get paid? Are you a W-2 employee? Are you a 1099 contract? You know, we have to spell all that out. So mm-hmm. we cover all that. Uh, and it, it says you're going to work maximum four months. Yeah. Now, if it needs to go longer, that's great. But then you also have to do some confidentiality stuff as far as, or uh, what's the term? Non-compete. Non-competes, yes. right? Everybody enters into a non-compete. For how long, and non- usually? And non-disclosure. Yes. Yeah. So and non-solicit, I'm just non-solicit. You're not going to take their customers. So non-competes, you know, it is it's pretty clear when you've got a business owner that's say 75, they're not they're not going to go do it. So you know, I say you want to do 10 years, and they're like, sure, I'll be 85. That sounds great. I'm not going to. Um, so you, most is five years, and then you do kind of a radius of say 200 miles. So you cannot start a business within five years of 200 miles of the location gotcha it's that's usually a non-negotiable ever it's if somebody says uh let's just make it 12 months and yeah like, and okay 8.5 months yeah right yeah, <laughs> yeah. like <laughs> and anything on reno street <laughs> so dentists are notorious for that because oh, there's really? a dentist on every corner right yeah. so it's like you know they're very strict on their non-competes wow that's interesting well, um, there's a lo- there's so much. I feel like this topic could literally go on for days. Oh, what are I, we missing? And it's Martin? really fascinating. I, for for people driving around, you, you talked about some people charge retainers. That implies you don't. I don't, I don't know that that's true. But how how would somebody who uh, what do did you say you don't? Or I you don't do? charge retainers. So you'll work with people to get them all set up, or you get a contract and say, okay, we're going to be working together. For a year, you do that for nothing. That's right. So, wow. Okay. What I've learned through the process is, um, you know, we're at my firm. We're we're pretty picky. You know, we we're not about quantity. We're about quality because 
my job is to help the business owners sell their business, not to list it, not to show it, to sell it. So last year, I looked of the evaluations of the meetings that we had, one out of every 19 we took on. So 18, I told them no. I pointed them in direction, point them in somebody like you that says, you know, you got some work to do. If you're willing to do it, time to step up. Sometimes they need marketing help. Sometimes they just need, so 19, I say no to. So we're very selective of who we work with because you know, we have to know what it's going to take because we don't charge any money. So we get paid when you get paid. And <laughs> the best comment a, a widow made to me, she said, you didn't cost me any money. You, know, yeah, you made me money, money. right? Yeah, and so no doubt there's a big did. difference because she had this value at, at, in the business that there was worth something out there. But to her at the time, it wasn't worth really anything. I mean, it was worth the salary that she was making or the dividend. But until we sold it, what's it worth? And so she looked at it, and I, I said, I, I greatly appreciate you saying that because it's true. It's like I didn't cost you any money. You were you got that when you were able to hit the exit button. Yeah, and that uh, famous mutual friend of ours, there, we have a story that uh, a mutual client, uh, this man and, and I, um, he said he didn't need no business broker. He, he had a customer who'd pay him $8 million. Yeah. And so they they went through the process anyway, and he got twenty, right, and not from not from the guys. That's so, fair. Yeah, yeah. A good business brokers, professionals, will way more will pay than pay they pay. get back what they cost. That's right. That's right. And uh, I read that eighty four percent of all SBA loan applications are declined because of poor presentation. Wow. That's so nuts. If you know that, if I know that as a business broker, why am I not? I, I have a meeting tomorrow with an SBA banker who I've never done business with. So I'm going to meet with him. I'm going to tell him, hey, here's what I do. Here's what it looks like. He might tell me, oh, hey, you need to do this. So I've listened over all these years to what they want and what they need. It's just checking the boxes. It's I know what they want and what they want to see so that when I give them my pitch deck, it's going to get approved. Yeah. And so that's why, unfortunately, I have to tell 18 clients, you know, no, we can't help them. We were talking before is Harvard Business did a review that it's hard to track privately held businesses that are actually sold, but they believe somewhere between seven and at most 30% of privately held businesses are sold out in the open market to non-family members. So the likelihood not much. is not much. But there are those things that you can do. Yeah. Every business can be sold. Well, I always say selling a business begins with the idea that your business has value. Yes. If you believe it, then you can begin to do the things. And you get a little of that romance in there. Yep. Because <laughs> you're not just smooth and concrete today and broom and concrete. You're, yeah. you're building something. That's and right. And so for me and myself now, my business, even today what I'm doing, I am building it to sell it again. Now that could be, again, 15 or 20 years, but I, I will build this current business of a service-based business to sell it. Yeah. And I'm already working on the, those pieces and to, to get it in that position. Yeah. There's nothing shameful about no. selling a business. No, no, there isn't. And if anything, it, a lot of times it's the right thing to do than just shut your doors. Yes. 
you know, because you have employees, you have customers that trust you and love working with the business and community that you serve. Um, and I, I mean, everyone, I, th I say everyone, maybe I'm biased here, but I, th I think most people want to leave a good legacy behind. Mm -hmm. And you can do that through mm -hmm. selling a business. Mm -hmm. um, man, it's so interesting. And this is a topic that I think people need to think more about. Everybody does just... What am I doing today that's going to help me sell this business tomorrow? That's right. Um, so we appreciate you have, having you on, Hank. And honestly, we'll probably have you back on uh, at some point to talk more specific yeah, and been, details this has about been things. Really great. Oh, it's been so, fun. Thank yeah. you. I, you know, not a lot of people ask me, you know, to, to tell me about like, well, tell me what the day in and day out. Because I love, you know, pulling the curtain back. <laughs> yeah. And, sh and sharing what really Thank happens. You. And the more people understand, it's yeah. it's logical. Yes. Yeah. Once you understand. That's right. What it is. It mm -hmm. doesn't If it's just be. this mystery, and I have people get mad at their money, oh, all this stuff. I go, no. I mean, banks are a little, yeah. a little <laughs> bit conservative, and, yeah. but I get it. But once you understand why they need this, what they need it for, hey, and it's not their money that they're giving you. Yes. Mm -hmm. And they want to make sure you pay it back. And oh, by the way, you want to make sure you can pay it back so you're allied in that. So you start thinking like that, and then the world's not your enemy. That's right. Ignorance isn't your enemy. New opportunities open up. Hopefully today, I'm going to say someone, I'm going to say a bunch of someones have thought, huh, maybe I could build this thing to sell. And they then all of a sudden, it's less of a job. It's Anyway. They absolutely yeah, can. Yeah, really fun stuff. They, they can. It's carrying business to its fruition. Yes. You know. It is. The cycle isn't. One year's tax returns or cycle is a lifetime of that business, and what are you doing? But I say in the book that businesses pay you cash in two ways, and one is your operating profit, which hopefully you can turn that somebody into cash, and the other is what you sell it for. Right. And that the the second one can be many, many, many times more than the first one. That's right. That's right. It, it really can, and you know you put that blood, sweat, and tears and equity into it. It can come back to you tenfold this, this would be the last thing because we got sure go but it, it's a point I like to make to guys I said if you have a business that's worth a one multiple in other words you make a hundred thousand dollars right. somebody will buy it for a hundred grand right a lot of businesses get sold at one multiple absolutely they didn't go through a broker well but anyway that's what sometimes happens. they do well if you can double your profit mm -hmm. you've doubled the value of your business because mm -hmm. 200,000 times one is 200,000 mm -hmm. If you can double your profit and double your multiple from one to two, mm -hmm. it's 400,000. Mm -hmm. That's exponential gain. You can do that any, I'm gonna say, you can do that in a year. Mm -hmm. Because why is the multiple so low? Mm -hmm. And you need to understand what they care about. Risk and, and you know, is it replicable if a new person buys it? You know, well, once you build that case, well, one to two is four times as much. What about three times profitable? Mm -hmm. And a three times the multiple it's nine times i'm going it's ex a lot of that's why private equity guys do it they know that they, know it. they want to buy you at a two mm -hmm. and sell you at an 18 well yeah. at an eight yeah and that's that's what they do mm -hmm. and it's a whole realm of business and making money uh, that a lot of people just are oblivious to mm -hmm. you're yeah. exactly right I, I just i just love it as a topic i don't want more people to think about it. Yes. Well, how can people connect with you, Hank? You know, easiest is just go to the website. Okay. BacchusConsulting.com. And that's yes. B O C K 
B-O-C-K-U-S. B-O-C-K-U-S. Just like it sounds. That talks about, you know, our our services that we provide that are transactional. So we'll do appraisals and we'll do business evaluations that you can just buy. Yeah. Uh, we do marketing services. Um, and then you can fill out, hey, I want to I want to be a buyer. You know, we've got a form that you can fill out. I want to be a seller. I want to be a form. Uh, that's probably the best and easiest way to get in touch with us. Okay. Awesome. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for being on. And, uh, Loved it. Thank we'll you, guys. have you again sometime. Fantastic. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks for listening to The Cashflow Contractor. Check out our website in the show notes or visit thecashflowcontractor.com.